This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Warren Friends Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Warren School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Our guest consists of experts like the world's leading authority on long-term economic growth, Bob Gordon. We will continue to see jobs created rather than destroyed. Former chair of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. I mean, I don't think either of us ever expected that we would live through a financial crisis. Or even the head of the Digital Indian Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to Behind the Markets here in Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, Global Head of Research at Wisdom Tree. My co-host is Warren Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, author of Stocks for Long Run and the Future for Investors. Joining me in the studio today is Lee Chen Ren, the director of Modern Alpha at Wisdom Tree. Please note, I'm a registered representative of Foresight Fund Services. Professor Siegel is a senior advisor to Wisdom Tree. The discussion is not tied to the offer of investment products, and the views of our guests are their own and not those of Wisdom Tree's affiliates. We've got some important announcements about our show and our broadcasting time here this week. This is our last live show at, at 1 p.m. Eastern starting next week. We're going to be going live at noon Eastern every Friday, so please make note of that. Uh, we're, the, the channel, uh, Morton Business Radio, is also going to be tweeting from a new handle, SXM Business. So we'll remind you about that at the end of the show. Um, we're going to have a, a great show today. We're going to be talking with uh, political expert Greg Valliere, return guest. He's uh, always got his eye on what's going on in Washington. But Professor, we've got a good GDP report, good jobs report, markets at new highs. Uh, the markets yeah. are happy. Wow. Yeah, uh, Jeremy, this, this was a blockbuster this morning. I when it, when it came up on my screen, I said, wow, <laughs> uh, almost a game changer. Uh, it was so much stronger than expected in a good way and uh, big revisions upward in the previous two months. Uh, I like the fact that the participation rate, which we've talked about, uh, broke to a new uh, seven-year high. Uh, you know, we've talked that that's, that's what's needed to sustain this, uh, you know, uh, record expansion uh, that we had. Uh, the unemployment rate ticked up a tenth, which shows you, again, with the participation rate going up, we're supplying enough uh, workers, so we're not tightening the labor market. Uh, the wages were, again, uh, quiescent not inflationary. Uh, it was a Goldilocks report. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not surprised stocks really rallied on it. Uh, and then just an hour and a half after that, we got a um, uh, an ISM report, which, although wasn't great, <clears throat> is not was not scary bad uh, like the previous two months. So that kind of uh, quelled uh, some of the fears that uh, manufacturing is falling off a cliff. As you know, yesterday we had a really a uh, bad reaction when the Chicago report came out. Again, a fear that we were going to have another very bad national report, but that did not happen today. But, uh, you know, the big news with the labor market report, um, it, it gives me confidence that this expansion can continue for quite a while. We are not in the ninth inning of this economic expansion. It can go longer. Again, um, we want trade resolution here. 
Um, and uh, I think that's all that's needed uh, if we if we get that to uh, you know power the stock market ahead in quite a meaningful way. Any any thoughts on what that Chicago was signaling? Is it just the the strikes, the car companies? Is it any? But that that's for some of the you know the Boeing uh, problems as well as the GM strike. How is that affecting some of of this data? Uh, it, it also I think points out the fact that manufacturing just is not as important to the U.S. economy as it once was. I mean, we know that. We know that's a long-run trend. We know that's not really where the jobs are created anyways. I mean, if we get a good manufacturing report, it's it's usually plus ten or 12,000. Well, that's not very much when you're having 150,000, uh, you know, go up. So uh, if, if it falls off, and uh, again, the GM strike was one of the reasons, um, it just does not seem to dent the economy the way it once uh, did. And um, I, I think that's what we're seeing. It also, I think, validates the fact that we've been looking at the uh, the weekly jobless claims as a, as a hint, and we've been saying every, every week how strong they are. It is not pointing to a general fall off of this. But uh, it's not only that we're not seeing a decline, I and mean, we all thought that we were going to go from 200,000 down to 125,000 is a question now whether we really downshifted in a meaningful way uh, in terms of job creation with the revisions and the strong numbers. We're going to get the bounce back from General Motors next month. We could, we could be well over 200,000 um, next month. We could be 250,000 next month if we have uh, some more hiring of the census workers, which actually took uh, reduce the, the count by another 10,000 this month. So, uh, again, it's one month. There is always, you know, noise in a, in a month. But the, the, the depth of, and the pervasiveness of the job creation here um, really, uh, I think, uh, was a game changer, at least in the way I look at it. Now, things, if we have a trade war, you know, that that's going to be bad. Um, but if we avoid that trade war and keep on working on it and then have a resolution, um, and that sets a stage for, I think, uh, another uh, strong recovery. When you mentioned that you think the this expansion could continue longer, um, you know, a lot of people got very worried about the recession possibilities coming up, um, and the Fed was too tight. The inverted curve. We we had a lot of conversation on that as as being a warning sign or a cause. You know, what's it going to be for the recession? Where? How do you think about the causes and when you think the next recession? Giving your crystal ball, where is it going to be? Yeah, well, we need uh, you know we need to see some excesses. I mean. Uh, again, that's why I look at the participation rate. If that continued downward, then we would have, you know, 3.4%, 3.3%, and then you would begin to really get up against those, you know, you, you know the firms would have to start raising wages to attract the people, and they, you know, way in excess of productivity, and that would begin then to cause firming of the prices uh, that, you know, the Fed would move against. Um, but with the participation rate moving up, we are seeming to supply those workers. We could continue to have growth without pressuring that. I don't see really uh, any other excesses in that. I mean, oil bounces up and down, everything like that, but there's no particular market there here that I think is, is strained um, at, at this particular uh, juncture here. Um, uh, and again, I mean, and commodity markets are mostly stable. 
Um, the CRB index have stopped falling. Uh, there seems to be a turnaround internationally. Um, Europe, there are some signs of positive emerging markets, which rallied very strongly on this news, are looking good today, but are showing some strength. So um, it, it's um, there are really good signs around the globe. Again, a full-scale war on trade with 25% tariffs would just turn everything south, uh, in my opinion. Um, but again, it's my opinion that, uh, you know, with the election year now a year away, we're, you know, and, and, and Trump's still caring about the stock market. He knows what the market here is about and cannot go full press on that. So um, that's what the market is discounting. And I'm not so at all surprised that, uh, you know, we pushed in into all-time high grounds. Well, very good on that note, Professor. It's a good transition to our next guest. Thanks for, for joining us for some commentary. Thank you very much. Bye. Let me welcome in Greg Valier, the Chief U.S. Policy Strategist at AGF Investments. Greg is a good friend of the show and uh, has been joining us for commentary on what's going on in Washington. Greg, how's, how do you think about what uh, we got a new highs in the stock market? How's Washington staying out of the way? Well, I think you got to use the word, Jeremy, uh, Goldilocks. I, I think you've got, as the professor just said, a, a great set of fundamentals. Uh, we did not, uh, we are not going to have an imminent recession, as so many alarmists claimed back in the spring and early summer. So it's very good news for Donald Trump. I think you've got to say, despite all of the chaos in his administration, despite impeachment, uh, he's the favorite right now to win re-election. Yeah, and 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 so you think the impeachment is is you think uh, he'll it'll it'll happen he'll get impeached but then the Senate will not convict is that your current read of the land? Yeah. It, it's been my call for a year, so I'm not going to change it now. I think that you know there's probably an eighty percent chance the House will impeach before Christmas. There's a lot of evidence, uh, and I think there's at, at the most a twenty five percent chance that the Senate would convict. Twenty five might be too high. But as you know, in the Senate, you need two-thirds, which would be 67 senators voting to uh, convict. Well, the Democrats have 47. So they need, assuming all Democrats vote to convict, the Democrats would need another 20 uh, defectors from the Republicans. Now, I could see maybe two or three, maybe Mitt Romney, maybe Susan Collins of Maine, but I can't see 20 Republican defectors. So I think Trump will be acquitted. And uh, by summer, we'll be moving on to other issues. So where, when you think uh, Trump's the favorite now, I mean, how do you think about where that Democratic race is lining up? Uh, you've got sort of the extremes in some ways of, of the side of the parties coming together for, uh, yeah. for, for the Democratic leaders. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, the reason why I think right now a lot could change right now. Trump is the favorite to win re-election. One we just talked about, the economy. The other is how weak a field the Democrats have. I mean, you look at who's one, two, three. You've got um, Elizabeth Warren leading slightly in Iowa, although I think she's leveled off. I think she has been weakened by these uh, charges that she has no idea how she'd pay for all of these enormous programs that she's talking about. But she's clearly in the top three, and I think fairly polarizing, fairly radical. You've got Joe Biden, uh, who, frankly, has, I think, lost a step or two. Uh, I uh, met Biden many times, and I always found him to be energetic and uh, gregarious and 
uh, the last couple of times I've seen him, I think clearly he he has lost a step or two, lost a couple of miles off of his fastball. And then you've got Bernie in number three, who uh, is going to tur- just turn 78 and has had some uh, health issues. If that's the top three, I think a lot of Democrats are wondering, is there someone else out there? Is there somebody that they could turn to? I, I don't see any late entrant. Uh, not Hillary Clinton or Michelle Obama or uh, Michael Bloomberg. I think that's very unlikely. So you'd have to look at the existing candidates and ask the question, is there someone we really haven't focused on enough? And even maybe Mayor Pete. Uh, he's very articulate. Uh, he's, uh, a, a, I think, a solid candidate, but he's awfully young. I mean, I could care less about his sexual orientation, but he's uh, he's only 37. Uh, 37 does seem to be a, a bit young. So you look at the field without going through all the others. Uh, you look at all the people still in the field, and I don't see a formidable opponent for Trump. So that's the second reason why he's the favorite. Uh, he doesn't exactly face a, a tremendous lineup of potential challengers. If uh, if you did see something go you know unexpected on the impeachment, is there a Republican candidate you think that could challenge Trump, or why you think the Republicans haven't tried to challenge him in a bigger way? I think it would be suicidal, Jeremy. I mean, the Republicans know that Trump has a, an approval rating of close to ninety percent among Republicans. So if somebody were to waste a lot of time and money uh, to challenge him, I think it would be futile. I think Mitt Romney knows this. I think John Kasich knows this. Uh, I think that Nikki Haley is going to run for president, but not this time. She's going to run in uh, 2024. She's only 47. I I think she has a phenomenal future, but I don't see her squandering it by a premature run against uh, Trump. So I, I don't see any uh, serious challenger. There's three minor challenges within his party, but I don't see any serious challenge to his nomination. And I have to assume that his health is okay. I'm not aware that it's not. So I think he's the virtual certain uh, nominee of the party, with most Republicans not daring to take him on. And when you think about the the sort of tax side, I, I know you were studying the tax policies of the different Democratic candidates. Where, what do you see as the the general state of where tax conversations are going to go, and, and you know how the Republicans uh, in Kudlow is is positioning himself to to combat that? Yeah, it's an interesting theme. Uh, first of all, all of the Democrats, not just the ones on the far left like Elizabeth Warren and uh, Bernie are talking about significant tax increases. Of course, Warren and a couple of others are talking about a pretty onerous wealth tax. You name it, they tax just about uh, anything. And even Biden, who's the uh, alleged moderate in the group, would raise business taxes from 21% now up to 25. A lot of others would go even higher than 25. So everyone on the Democratic side is talking about significant tax hikes. That didn't work out too well for Walter Mondale going back to 1984 when he advocated tax increases and lost 49 states to to Ronald Reagan. Now you see the other shoe dropping. Uh, There was a story in the Washington Post yesterday about how uh, Trump has instructed Kudlow to come up with a tax cut. Uh, I think that it wouldn't have good chances in the House unless you have some significant increases uh, on business and on the wealthy. But I think Trump will 
use this as an argument in 2020 that here I am working on a bill that would make my tax cuts permanent, that might make some other changes, might even lower taxes for the middle class, which this first bill didn't really do. And he would be running against a party that is unabashedly in favor of tax increases. So I think he'll use this as a political uh, foil against the Democrats, even though, frankly, chances of a tax cut next year are way below 50 percent. Yeah, and and you think about the 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 people who are worried about the tax ramping from the Democrats and the wealth taxes or the higher corporate taxes, you know, they sort of hold out that the Senate is going to stay Republican and that no matter what the Democrats want to do, it's going to be very hard for them to get anything through. What would you think it takes for this for the Republicans to lose the Senate? I think it would take a, a tidal wave, a so-called wave election, uh, ousting Trump. Uh, I, I don't see that as likely, but, you know, we've got a year to go. That's a long time in politics. But I think that the Senate is most likely to stay Republican based on uh, the seats that I've looked at that are up. Uh, right now, the Republicans have 53 Democrats have 47. The Republicans, I think, are almost certain to recapture the seat in Alabama. So you have to ask the question, are there that many opportunities for the Democrats? They could take the Senate, but I'd say the odds are maybe 60-40, maybe even 70-30, that the Republicans keep the Senate. And that's huge, because Mitch McConnell views the Senate as the firewall against more liberal legislation that would come over from the House. He views the Senate as the vehicle to uh, confirm more and more conservative judges. So if the Senate stays Republican, that's a very, very big deal. And also for investors, because anything like, you know, uh, Medicare for all or the Green New Deal would certainly die in, in a Republican Senate. Any other chances? Are they, are they you know, the, 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 the House keeps saying they could sort of do th- two things. They could try to impeach as well as get some policy passed. Is there a chance that they're going to be able to focus on getting anything approved? I know, you know, sort of the, the, new, the new NAFTA is, is, you know, needs to be ratified, but nobody's actually voted on that. What's, what's your thought there? Well, I think, Jeremy, one of the casualties of impeachment which is going to suck all of the oxygen out of the room uh, for the next several weeks in the House. One of the casualties is that we're not going to get anything done. And there is a need to do a few things. We need a budget, and I think it'll be Christmas Eve or maybe even later before we do get a budget. Uh, I think we need to get the, the NAFTA replacement, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, uh, ratified. I think the votes are there to do it, but I think Nancy Pelosi is in no rush to do Trump any favors right now. You know, there's a need for a few other bills, whether it's, uh, you know, gun control or drug price legislation. But I think that Congress will basically be paralyzed by impeachment, and we're not going to get a lot of other stuff done. Yeah, so it's going to be it's going to be interesting uh, seeing how that that shakes out. What what are the other major issues? If you, so, so the next election will be. It seems to be the economy is doing well, um, and sort of Trump keeps firing at uh, you know the blaming the Fed for not having rates lower than Germany and and Japan. Um, so he keeps having his foil that the Fed was too tight. They they're hurting his economy, even though we got some some pretty good numbers. Um, you know, versus what are the other major issues next year you think that that's going to all come down to? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Jerome Powell is going to be a, a, a whipping boy for quite some time. 
but I think Trump should be happy. He's got the economy right where he wants it. Uh, I think if there's a, an issue that maybe could come to the forefront, it's going to be geopolitics. Uh, I think that it's just a matter of time before Beijing decides they have to crush the insurrection in Hong Kong. That could be very messy. It could uh, make it even tougher to get a trade deal uh, completed. Uh, I think Brexit, obviously, is still a big wild card as they try to iron that out. But the big issue, I would say, involves Iran and the Saudis. I think the Iranians have become emboldened because Trump quite clearly does not want to be in the Middle East. We've lost a lot of uh, soldiers, a lot of money in the Middle East, and Trump wants out. And uh, and by him saying that quite forcefully, I think the Iranians may feel that they could strike again at the Saudi oil fields with impunity. And that's that's a threat, in my opinion. Uh, I think that the, the, the Middle East is going to be missing you know, the one force that could stop some of these uh, wild cards. Uh, it's an interesting angle for Trump. People don't appreciate just how much of an isolationist he is. But to me, that's a mixed blessing. Uh, I, I'd be happy to see no more U.S. casualties, but I would not be happy to see the U.S. abdicate. And that may be an issue for next year. Yeah, and there's a lot of complicated issues there from Asia and China and what's going on in North Korea and, and how that's all going to play. And then you got the Middle East and, and China actually taking a bigger role there, needing all the oil. And, you know, we need less of the oil. So we're becoming less involved there. Um, and, and so it's, it's just an interesting. How do you think that China issue plays out over time? I mean, it seems like that's going to be extended tensions with China. And even if a Democrat comes in, is like, is, is Warren going to be a better person for them to negotiate than Trump? It's hard to say that's going to be the case. Well, well, she's a trade hawk also. And I think it's not well appreciated that in Washington, there are a lot of Democrats who feel that China doesn't play fair. Uh, Chuck Schumer, for example. So a lot of Democrats are going to hold Trump's feet to the fire and say, look, we want a tough deal. We don't want to just get any deal to help you get reelected. So I, I think that's going to be a very controversial issue for quite some time to come. And uh, frankly, I, whenever I hear the White House say, we have an agreement in principle, there's never an agreement in fact that follows this up. There's sort of a vague agreement that we, we're, we're now in phase one and we might get something. But actually getting something signed is probably going to take longer than we'd hoped for. It may be late winter before we get phase one done. And as far as the really tough issues, phase two, they may not get done uh, until after the next election. Hi, uh, this is Li Chang. Um, actually, I wonder, um, in, at least in Asia, people really are focusing on U.S. Congress, whether they will uh, pass the Hong Kong Human Rights Act. Um, uh, do you see any possibility of that, you know, signed by the president? Because I think that is, uh, at least from China's point of view, uh, that that is like the number one concern and wonder whether they will become part of the negotiating, you know, tied to the trade. I, I think there's a decent chance that Congress could pass this. I think Trump, who once again is an isolationist and doesn't want to meddle in other countries, I think Trump would be very reluctant to sign something like this that could embarrass Z and make it more difficult for him to get his uh, his trade deal. So, it, it, But even if we got this passed in the U.S., I don't see it having uh, a lot of practical implications. It would have symbolic implications, obviously, to see the U.S. be that, that critical. But I, I think Trump's instincts would be, let's not mix this up with a trade deal. They're two separate issues. So you think that... Um 
uh, it's even if the you know senator passes that President Trump might not sign it. Yes, I think that's a real possibility. Okay. I think the the view in, in in Asia, at least from mainland China, people do view this uh, uh, pretty significant because um, in some way this law would allow. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, officials who will consider human rights uh, violators, their families could not come to the U.S., couldn't go to school in the U.S. So this is actually considered a pretty big deal. But uh, um, it, even though it's not specific uh, tied, but the, the, this, the act is still viewed very significant, uh, at least in Asia. Yes. I mean, you have to make a conclusion that the uh, antipathy between the two countries, these two traditional allies in many respects, this antipathy may continue. Even if we do get phase one of the trade deal, I I think there are a lot of very big differences between the two countries that have been uh, exacerbated in the last year or so by these very tough trade talks. Greg, it's always a great to to catch up with you and get your views. Any final thoughts, things where people can keep up with AGF Investments and, and your work? I just make a real quick comment, Jeremy, and I think that is the investors have to look past the chaos in Washington, the, the tweets, who's up, who's down, who's going to get fired. That's all background noise. The important stuff, you know, earnings, GDP, interest rates, the important stuff looks really quite good right now. Very good. Very good stand on that. Thanks for joining. Okay. Nice to talk. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit WisdomTree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. 